everyone. Welcome to this episode of Carolyn Talk. I'm your host, Carolyn Heist, film critic and journalist. And this is the podcast where I talk to film creators about their work, the industry, and what inspires them. And today I am going to be speaking with director and writer Bomani J. Story about what inspired him to create his de debut feature film, The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster, which is an, a, a very exciting, but also very creepy. There's one particular little girl in there that's very creepy. Um, horror movie. <laughs> I'm, this is, honestly I don't trust children when it comes to horror stories anytime I see a child I'm like I don't trust you automatically I don't care who the villain is um <laughs> so <laughs> so Bomani can you tell us a bit about what inspired you to create this story um yeah and like it started with the literature you know it's like the the original book by Mary Shelley's Frankenstein I read it and was so impacted by it that I uh, I just knew I needed to do something with it uh and like the themes resonated with me and like the characters like I just loved it so much and you mix that with a little bit of uh you know I have two older sisters that I grew up with who shepherded me and were kind of my first contact with intelligence mm -hmm. and uh you know mix those two things and ta-da how you like me now <laughs> ta-da I like uh, it <laughs> uh, uh, so the thing about this film is as you said it's inspired by Mary Shelley's um Frankenstein's monster and I always like we always got to remind people the story isn't about the monster and the monster's name is not Frankenstein Frankenstein is excited and in mm -hmm. this and in this story the Frankenstein is a young black girl called named Vicario played by Leah de Leon Hayes and I think she did a fantastic job because the thing with this and with her character is she's very dark and she has a very dark aura and a very dark um outlook on life and her this dark outlook on life she has has been created because of the situations she's in, you know, because the community she's in is she's surrounded by danger. She's seen extremely traumatic situations happen right in front of her eyes. And being a black girl living in America, the world is dangerous, you know? So she has this very, seems like a very negative and a very pessimistic outlook on life. And she particularly has what seems to people to be this obsession with death. But I actually don't see her obsession with death as being necessarily unhealthy because she calls death a, a disease, which I think is interesting for you to have it termed that way because normally people would say death is the symptom. So what, talk about making death the disease rather than the symptom of the situation that she's in, of the environment that she, that she lives in. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that first of all, it's like that line to capture the emotion of what she's going through. You know, not only was it that to kind of contextualize it, uh, as her kind of mantra, mantra, whatever you, however you say it. But it was also, you know, my homage to one of my favorite films, The Fountain by Darren Aronofsky. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's like mixed with all that. But I, I think that she, because of her obsession through, you, you know, and this is how she processes her, uh, her grief, you, you, you know, and I think that uh, her coming to the conclusion that death is a disease, I think is because it's robbed her of so many things. And I believe she, uh, you know, as she states, I believe she thinks that is the the ultimate problem because as long as death is not around, we don't got nothing to worry about. Right, right. And because she thinks that death is curable, you know, mm -hmm. she she looks at it as like people would look at it as almost like a cancer. You know, it's a cancer that needs to be cured. It's a cancer that needs to be taken out. But mm -hmm. the thing with cancer, cancer is a mutation. You know, cancer starts as a mutation in cells, whereas the death that she's talking about, I guess the mutation would be racism, as structural as mm. systemic racism. 
And I think it's a very interesting way to have the, to have it symbolized that way. So uh, while you were writing the story, did you talk to anyone about having death be the disease and having in in essence racism and anti-blackness and systemic and structural racism and anti-blackness, both from like a community level to a macro level, considering the government and police state. And like who, what kind of conversations did you have with people about this particular aspect of the story? <laughs> I love this. <laughs> nah, you know, look, uh, when I was writing this, I was like, of course, like there's there's my own, you know, experiences and you know, talking to my as well as talking to my sisters and as well as just, you know, my own uh, research. And, you know, it's like being black in America is just gonna give you a certain outlook and make you think about these things, mm -hmm. you know? And as a writer, you're gonna try to capture certain thoughts, you, you know what I mean? So it's all gonna play a part of it, you know? And to say whether it's uh, one of these things, two of these things or all of them or none of them, you, you know, I definitely wanna leave that up to the audience to decide, you, you know, on how they feel about it. And their interpretations of it because I think that that's part of the beauty of storytelling and cinema is you are able to have these grasps and these interpretations. Now I think these things are without a doubt part of the conversation you, you know you, and I think I would be being dishonest to make a movie that's so embedded within the culture without that you, you, you know what I mean in some shape or form so I hope that kind of answers your question. It does. I know you're trying not to spoil it, but yeah, but no, it does because like these things are unfortunately inherent with society. Like even me living in Canada and Toronto and even coming from the Caribbean, from Barbados, like these are situations that I grew up around, you know, like in like, for instance, like in, in this story, like in her community, she has what we would like, back home we would call the fellas that like money block which is, you know, mm -hmm. like the gangsters and like they hang out and they have their own little uh, claim and they have their, they're controlling their territory. And that's mm -hmm. a, a systemic structure as well. That's an oppressive structure, but that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a structure that was created as a, as a symptom of the larger issue. But like those guys themselves, they're trying to survive in their own way, but they're, but they're not seeing how they're being oppressors as well. So like I think mm -hmm. like you you handle the, that balance very well. You show like both the micro and the macro level, and how for uh, Bakaria and like even the young boy, like there's this little boy that she talks with, how they get caught up in the system too. Like they're being they're literally being caught between a rock and a hard place, you know. And like they like but you this is a story you can't like who is the real villain, mm -hmm. you know who who is the who's the what is the what was what's the mutation that caused this disease of death, you know. And and the thing is, and talking now about the, the guys that live on the block on how they affected her personally, um, I want you to talk about that representation on how on having given there's two characters in particular, but one in particular played by um uh Denzel Whitaker, this character of Kango. Like you give him a little bit of depth, you know, like which isn't expected. You you're like, he is the the main the main boss on this block you know he has his gang he's running drugs but you give him deaths death so talk about um making sure that for the audience you you say that all of these black people matter which is basically what's happening this story like every single character every single black person in this film has their own story has their own narrative and has their own purpose well i think like you know uh i think that comes from two places one you know it's just yeah, to me our humanity is important to be seen mm -hmm. uh, across the board, 
you know, no matter where, who we are, whether we are achieving high, you know, degrees at, uh, at, you know, at prestigious universities or we're in a prison cell, you know, it's like our, our, human, our humanity matters, you know, and we need to be treated as humans. And so always capturing the humanity of someone, especially of our own, I think is, is important to showcase. I think a lot of people, when they look at, when they first think of like a gangster or something like that, they think of them just sitting there mean mugging and, you know, just, you know, it's just like, but gangsters be laughing too. And they have mothers and fathers too. And they have brothers and sisters too. And they have children, you know, they are fully, you know, realized human beings walking through this world and they are moving a certain way because of certain situations that society has done. Mm-hmm. And I think the faster we understand that, the better off we'll be to be able to help, you know, these people who need it, you know, and I think misrepresenting them only just pisses people off and not showing their humanity. So, and then, you know, uh, past that, just from a fundamental filmmaking and storytelling perspective, I just think that trying to give or aspiring, at least for me personally, I always want to aspire to give characters you, you know, some kind of depth, you know, and, and really search for their humanity and why they are moving the way they are moving. I think that is a, you know, for me, at least, that is a staple of, of, of good, of good cinema, you, you know, it's just like that it is a staple of that, that I always want to try to aspire to have. Yeah, because in like in saying all that, the thing about Kango, which I think was so interesting, the decision that you made, like, he is the one that kind of um, holds Bakari accountable for some, well, not even some, but all of the decisions that she makes because she makes some very questionable decisions. <laughs> and he's the one, he's the one that literally, you know, like, you know, as the audience we were watching, say, girl, little girl, what are you doing? Like, this is like crazy. <laughs> And and he's the one that says that he's like you're crazy. like what are you doing right? <laughs> so I, I thought that it was interesting, and that's and the scene like it plays kind of humorous, and because it's more like situation um humor because it's in that moment like it's like he's like he's like what are you doing? This is crazy, but it's very serious because you're having this person that she also in her heart holds so much animosity for for. And she herself sees as a as a villain. She doesn't see herself as a villain, but he's seeing her as a villain because of the things she's done. He's like, what you're doing is monstrous. He's like, you're a monster in, in essence. You're creating a monster. And she's telling him the same thing. She's like, you're a monster. The things that you do are, it's, are monstrous, you know? Like, you're, you're, you're selling drugs. But I just had a, a light bulb moment. So, like, she's like, like, for her, the drugs that he sells, turns people in, into monsters they're like walking zombies because that's what drug addiction does to people and like what she's doing is basically the same thing to her brother you know like she made him into a, a walking zombie and they both have this very they're both like two up two different sides of the same coin you know and they're both right and they're both wrong at the same time so I think that's a beautiful um um dichotomy and a, and a beautiful um example of the complexity of these characters that you're seeing like like these are fully realized human beings and black people are not one dimensional you know and we're not monolithic and we are very complex and like there's both the good and the bad bad aspects to these characters yeah no um uh, i think again it's like it's always important to understand that everyone has their stance and their viewpoint and they're coming from a space and i think it's very uh 
very rare for someone to kind of be like, I'm wrong. I know I am wrong and I am pursuing wrong. Right. Like, and I'm, you know, and I'm standing on that. Right. I think most of the time people, whatever the argument may be, feel like they're right. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they're both convinced that they're right. And I'm, I'm me as the, I'm like, you're both wrong. <laughs> like, you know? You're both wrong and you're both out of order. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and it's, and it's talking about like the duality in essence and the, and the dichotomy and the differences and opposites and similarities and opposites to these characters. Something that really stood out to me watching this film is the use of color. Now, I noticed that red plays a very, like the predominantly red and a color teal as um, it's like a light version of teal. I play very prominent roles in the costuming as well as the set design and production design of this film. So like, I want you to talk a bit about that because I saw the red as being representative of her rage, her anger, her grief, death, you know, blood, visceral, all of these things. But the other color teal, which I find, which is used more in the, um, in the family rooms, like the dining room and the living room has more teals and the character of Aisha played by um, Riley Brixit, like a lot of her clothes has a mixture of both colors of both red and teal. So I talk about working with your um, production designer, Mark Bankins and your costume designer, Kaylee Brenneman about incorporating these two colors and what they symbolize to you. Cause I still, I'm still thinking about what the teal possibly represents. I was thinking advocacy, but I'm like, not exactly. <laughs> no, like, um, shout out to Kaylee, you know, she was our incredible uh, costume designer and she added so much to this. I remember when I originally wrote the script because, you know, I, uh, I, let's just say it was for a much smaller budget that I was going to do. I was going to do it on my own for a much smaller budget. Mm -hmm. And the only costume I really had was just like, you know, she was just like in one kind of fitting or whatever. But you know, Haley came, Kaylee came and like, you know, it's like once we we were able to secure a little bit more financing for it, she she really brought her personality to life through her, through the costuming, especially Vicarious, you know? And um, we definitely talked about who she is as a, as a human, what would she be wearing? I even think about what she would be listening to and like these things all came into play and, you know, even down to, uh, her backpack you know mm -hmm. and where that came from like these things were all thought about so like shout out to her for what she did and really bringing these costumes alive and making them feel alive and uh but you know it's like as far as you know Mark Bankins as well like he did a phenomenal job on the with the production design and the colors were something we definitely talked about you, you know it's just like the colors we wanted for all these different spaces uh however you, you know it's like uh what i will say is that like i <laughs> i understand colors to have different meanings you know as you said before yes red can mean anger you know it can mean death it can be blood you know it's just like uh it can be gang related it can also be passion it can also be uh love and you know it can also be a lot of these things and so um stuff like that was definitely in my mind when it came to uh the the, the color palette of whether it's Vicar's home or Kango's home or even uh Riley's home so mm -hmm. like but I don't want to uh lean one way or the other too much because I, I I enjoy the 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 interpretations you know it's just like for people when it comes to uh the color spaces of these rooms and what it means to them uh, mm -hmm. so but yeah so just just under the, there's no like if you're 
if you are, you know, reading into it and looking at it, these were all thoughts that were going into my head. So like, but I, I respect the relationship between the story and the audience. Yeah, I'm the kind of person, I always talk about this, but I'm the kind of person that if I see a vase or a cup or a shirt, I'm always like, does this have a deeper meaning or is this just a, or is this thing just a thing, you know? I'm always yeah. talking about the meaning about it because like, you yeah. know, all of these things are very intentional. Yeah, no, that I will, that's, that's the only part of you that I will answer. The colors were very intentional on who they were with and why they were there. I don't want to answer that because I think that's part of the, you know, it's like part of the entertainment of movies and like the relationship between the movie and its audience. But I will, I, you know, you're not crazy for thinking that with this movie. I just want to let you know that. <laughs> no, people more curious what the teal means, darn it. <laughs> uh, I know you have to get ready to go because I know you're a bit you're having a busy day today but thank you so much Bomani for taking the time for for speaking with me and thank you for making this film I'm sure you're gonna get a lot of interesting reactions and you're gonna and like you are the you, you seem to be the kind of filmmaker that just loves watching people's reactions and see what they really think and all the different theories that people are gonna come up come up with for this film. I know like, there will be a lot of theories about what this film is, which I think is great, you know, because everyone reads into films differently. Every story is like, has its own identity. So I, 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 I myself can't wait to see what other people think about this film. But again, thank you so much for speaking with me. <laughs> oh no, thank you so much for, for putting this down. And like, I, I love your questions. I love how you feel about the movie. I love how it makes you feel. and. Like, I love your your thoughts on it, man. Like, yes, uh, like, I hope you write uh, a piece on it. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to have to, I'm going to pitch it to someone to see who, picks it, who takes it. <laughs> but yeah, then, yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> but no, thank you. I, I'm glad it resonated with you. You just never, you never know, you, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, I'm always, always like, I have to humble myself to audiences, you, you know? It's just like, because as much as I have hopes and dreams while I'm going to be writing something and creating, I just don't know uh, for sure how people are going to react, you, mm. you know, and whether they're going to be involved or not. And I always want to humble myself to that. So I'm very, um, very grateful that you responded to it and it connected with you. And uh, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. I'm going to let you go now before being cut off. <laughs> okay.